1: Today we're talking to Alan Pierce. Alan is a journalist, broadcaster, former BBC correspondent, author of several books, and he has contributed to numerous publications from Time Magazine to Saturday to the Sunday Times of London. His book, Coma and Near-Death Experience, is coming out actually in two weeks, but uh, by the time everybody hears this, it's out, go buy it. <laughs> anyway. Um, so along with talking about coma, we'll go into the medical and all of that and the physical, but our interest too is the metaphysical of where do we go? What is consciousness and where do people go? And and when they're brought out of this coma, what do they talk about? Which is normally dismissed. I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But um, first, I want to know, there's nothing in your background that says you're interested in this. How did you get into
2: this? (laughs) Hello, Barb. What a good question to start with. So you introduced me as a journalist. So as a journalist, I'm always asking questions. COVID had just begun. I'm watching the TV news, and I'm wondering just why they're putting so many people into medically induced comas. I mean, just why? How does that help? So I just thought I'd look into it just to satisfy satisfy my own curiosity. Well, the official explanation is that prolonged deep sedation, i.e. coma, is an essential tool in critical care. It provides the deepest, most restorative form of sleep. It gives the patient the best chance. That's what they tell you. They also tell you that the event itself will be a complete blank in your lives, that there's nothing to remember. So that's the official explanation. So I just needed to check it out a little bit further. Because Once I start, I can't invariably stop. So I got access to one of the Facebook groups, the Coma Survivors group. And I was allowed to sort of watch from the sidelines. And I, everything that I was reading that Coma Survivors were posting was at total odds with what the doctors were saying. But one, it's not a blank in people's lives. They were reporting the most remarkable events, which we'll talk about in a moment. And they were also listing an incredible range of similar ailments. Now, people have been placed in comas for a whole different range of reasons, but they were all suffering more or less the same symptoms post-coma. Now, this really should have rung alarm bells way before I ever came on the scene. So suddenly I think I've got a story. I had no intention of writing About a book about coma. But the more I investigated, the more I found that there was so much to say. So I set out to investigate what appeared to be a highly dubious medical procedure. And this led me on a path into the non spiritual realms.
1: Mm -hmm. And um, what were you hearing? Well, first of all, let me start, let me back up a little bit. So so in the pandemic, you had way too much time on your hands. I can take it. <laughs> and um, um, but why do they put you into induced induced coma? As, as you said, you know my my understanding is to get the body to rest and heal and all of that. But in reality, why do they? I mean, you're okay. pretty much what, out of it anyway.
2: Well, what was happening? Um, it's been standard practice for about 50 years and bit by bit doctors and nurses were beginning some not all by any stretch were beginning to notice that this wasn't everything it was cranked up to be far too many people were dying uh, in the intensive care unit within coma a lot of people were dying after release and rarely but occasionally you would follow a person from a medical ICU unit and see how they're faring and they were not faring at all well. Um just ask me the question again, because I'm in a danger of going off into tangents.
1: Why? Why, you know, oh, people yeah, are why? pretty so, well yeah, so sick so, that yeah, they're exactly. of it. So why?
2: So what happened in coma uh, what happened with COVID was that suddenly every intensive care unit on the planet was overwhelmed. Now they had it experience of a certain kind of patient before suffering from acute respiratory distress syndrome odds, and they figured the best way of dealing with that was to put them on a ventilator if you're on a ventilator they believe you have to be deeply sedated so they did that they noticed they were oxygenating well and they appeared comfortable so covid happens what the heck do we do they just started putting everybody into medically induced comas. It appeared easier because they had a started short staff shortage. A lot of staff were burning out in intensive care. So they were very short-handed. Instead of the usual two, two, two nurses to one patient ratio in an intensive care unit, you're now you could now get down to the point where one nurse is looking after four patients and turning them once every two hours. So suddenly, this became an enormous practice, and so many people, millions of people globally or places of medically induced comas when they don't need to be. I'll just say this. It is generally accepted that there are uses for a medically induced coma. If someone's suffering a brain seizure, and it's going to do them damage, you want to switch the brain off. If you've got certain injuries such as abdominal, you don't want them moving around. And certain types of heart complaint where you don't want the brain using up too much oxygen, you want that oxygen to go to the blood, you switch the brain off even when you do that it is a trade-off because you are causing irreparable harm to the patient the trouble is modern intensive care has become a conveyor belt of care where nobody gets to look over their shoulder at the product coming off the other line they're just too busy dealing with the next patient when you're released from the intensive care unit if you've been on a ventilator you can't speak often for weeks at a time because of damage to vocal cords. Hmm. You'll move down the line to different care facilities. When you come out of a coma, it's not like in a movie. People are just so confused. Invariably, they don't know who they are. They do not recognize often their friends, family, the children, whoever. One person told me she didn't even recognize humans when she came out of her coma. You can't use a knife and fork, you can't walk, you've got terrible physical complications. So the events within coma are not your immediate concern. Your immediate concern is, how do I get get my hands to move again? How can I ever get to stand up? Who, Who are these people? So it's a long time down the line before people even begin to address that issue. Then, if people try and tell somebody like their friends and family, or maybe a doctor, their reaction generally is, well, hold on a second, until very recently, you were sedated up to the eyeballs and beyond, and we can't really take seriously anything that you're saying. So they're just dismissed. And events within coma, which uh, cover an enormous range, including near-death experiences, are simply dismissed as hallucinations, delirium, or false memories.
1: And is this true both? Uh, uh, what you called a spontaneous coma, we talked a little bit before, and uh, or a natural coma and an induced coma? Are they the same?
2: Uh, they're the same in that oftentimes people experience similar events. So within a spontaneous coma, people may be experiencing a near-death experience. That's certainly the case within a medically induced coma. Other people... in Inside a medically-induced coma, you find the events that people recount are much, much darker. For example, when people recount a near-death experience, they tend to be really beautiful affairs, and you don't so often hear of any nightmarish ones, although we hear them, but we don't hear hardly any at all by comparison. They form the majority of events within coma, absolutely horrendous, off the scale, beyond the human imagination something that no scriptwriter could ever come up with. So strange. On top of that, other people are experiencing alternate lives. Now, that could be past lives. They're often set in the past, often not too far back. In some cases, people have t- related to me. Alternate lives spanning decades, lived in real time, complete clear consciousness, exactly as we're experiencing a life now, holding down jobs, getting married, having kids, going on vacation, living a normal life, and then within that life, getting on well, and then suddenly waking up in a hospital in this life and not knowing which life you're in. And the person beside your bed claiming to be your partner is a complete mystery to you. And as far as you're concerned, you have a partner and children back in this previous life, and who can explain that? And when you look around for parallels, i cannot find an instance anywhere where people have gone from this life have found themselves living a completely different life spanning decades and then back into this life again people have past life regression but they're remembering their lives much in the same way i might remember my last vacation but i'm certainly not living it minute by minute as these people are there's no parallel for that and uh, I, I, I don't know how anyone explains that, and people who've been through it find it almost impossible, if not impossible, to explain to, to, to their loved ones, you know, you are my husband, you are my wife, but I until a month ago, I had a completely different husband or wife and a different set of children, and, and they're, they're talking with grief.
1: And what do you think that is? Do you think that's a parallel life going on, or past I, I think life? Or... I think it's
2: a past past life, if anything you think it's often, past? past life. Other people recount lives, but they don't see them spanning, say, decades in one go. They will experience, I say a past life, but more often not, they're experiencing a past death, one after another, after another, after another, like on a loop. Completely different lives, completely different deaths, almost always horrendously violent, sometimes with a theme such as drowning over and over again, different lives, drowning completely different ways. Um, I mean, that's a past life, but when people do past life regressions, I don't recall them having multiple lives and recalling multiple deaths. I mean, there may be people listening who've heard of these things. I never had until this.
1: Um, that is so odd because, you know, a lot of times when you do a past life regression, you're observing it more than living it so there is a difference in, in the
2: people are living it they're drinking margaritas and, and, and tasting the margaritas they mm-hmm. go to ball games and they're enjoying every minute of it and eating hot dogs right are having and then a complete when, real existence
1: when they come so when they come out and they come into this life Don't they miss that life? The people? I mean, that that was your family. That was your life.
2: Okay. There's a number of them in the book. I spoke to many more who would tell me, yes, they have had this, but they cannot go there. They just cannot tell me about it without bursting into tears. Mm -hmm. So upset. They're in therapy. But what kind of therapy can you get? People are just going to say you're delusional. People are going to get some. Prescribe some kind of tablet, some kind of medication to help you get over this. But right. if you'd come out of a near-death experience, what tablet or medication could you prescribe that would actually help somebody? There isn't such a thing. So mm-hmm. people are absolutely lost with this. They don't know where to turn. Invariably think they've gone mad. I think virtually every coma survivor I spoke to used the word mad, crazy, mental, bonkers, nuts, etc. None of them. Thought they were saying.
1: Is that because the world didn't accept what they experienced, or you know, that they didn't accept what they experienced?
2: I think it's easier, supposing one has a near-death experience, say due to an accident or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You 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 will find parallels and you wouldn't be you wouldn't spend too much time on the internet before you found other instances. With coma. People are so horrified by what they've experienced. They're so certain that they've gone nuts. They do not share them. Occasionally, now with COVID, more and more people, millions of people in coma, people are starting to write their stories up. However, generally, people just keep them firmly to themselves. I think this is human nature. And uh, no one gets to find out about it. So they've got no one to share this with. Absolutely not. They're completely alone.
1: Some some major people where this has completely transformed their their life and their experience really in their work. Young is one. Uh, Freud, Freud He's in the book. Um, yeah, you know they have experienced this uh, coma. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think it was medically induced, but this alternative no, but, reality where Carl they're Young. in their body but not.
2: Oh, what's well, that medical? And I'm went sorry. into a spontaneous coma. Jung went into a heart attack yeah. and had a spontaneous coma. And much like some of the accounts I've heard from within coma, from other people, he found himself above the earth looking down. And he's looking down on the globe of the earth. Now this is before NASA or anyone had ever taken a photograph from space. And yet he described the earth. He could see the Himalayas. He could see deserts. He could see all sorts. And, uh, no human had ever seen that up until that time. And yet, Carl, Carl Jung gives a description. He could be just looking at a a photo. It's remarkable. And uh, you, you mentioned other, other people. There's Dr. Evan Alexander, the neurosurgeon that people uh, often mention when talking about NDEs. He had his within a coma. For him, it was entirely life-changing. His, however, was exceptionally positive. He went to heaven. He was a Christian. He went to heaven. It's not the heaven as he envisaged. He thought the word God was too puny a word. And he, he, he just touched another level of reality and was so confident of it and what that meant for him, his life, the future, humanity, where we're all going. That was a positive thing. When you come out of a coma and you've spent, say, the worst, one of the worst, it's hard to say which is worse. One coma survivor told me she spent 80 years, eight zero years, as a living mannequin in a serial killer themed bar. Now, you can't come out of that with any positive life lessons. You just cannot. It, it, it destroys your mind. And, and I may, wait, she went talk through.
1: a little bit more about that. Um... She spent eighty years, eighty years, in a, in a med- serial killer's well, yeah, she, mind.
2: Themed, themed bar, absolutely, she did, and uh, she was encased in a kind of fiberglass that over the years turned to amber. They had originally actors um, come in and act out various serial killer themed roles, and as the bar became more successful. Um, Prisoners released from prison uh, would come in and reenact their crimes to a paying audience on, this case, uh, Deborah. And this went on night after night for 80 years. She had different ways of measuring the time. She gave birth three, time, gave birth three times within her coma as a consequence of rape. And uh, eventually, the bar was closing down, and it had been open for 80 years, and she'd been there from the very, very beginning and they didn't know what to do with her. So they put her in a wheelchair and took her to a medical facility uh, where her organs were harvested. That was her now, could she?
1: Experience. Did she know her name in that? In she that, knew exactly um, who she was. I don't, I don't she, know what to call it in that lifetime, I guess.
2: I don't know what to call that, really. No, um, it is an event within coma. She had referenced her husband several times, um, and, and the fact that he, he was a type 2 diabetic, for example. This is within her coma. So she was herself within her coma. Um, but her memory was was vague, utterly vague. Um, there were periods where she just didn't know where her family were or how long since she'd last seen her family. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, like I said before, this is not something... Any Hollywood scriptwriter could necessarily come up with because it's just so beyond the human imagination.
1: Right. That's no
2: stranger than any other of the, the accounts within the book. The book's not a list of stories, it's an exploration of what is going on and uh, just where are people going within their comas. Because one thing that's really interesting, I started looking for parallels. If you take the mystics and the shaman, Throughout throughout time, they've taken themselves off to the darkest recesses of caves to cut themselves off from the physical world to commune with the spirit world. When they do, they recount certain things. All those things that they recount are being recounted by people within coma. The light and dark, the horror, the beauty.
1: The horror is what we're all afraid of. <laughs>
2: You see, when you look at conventional religions, they talk of heaven and hell and purgatory. Mm-hmm. Within Coma, Deborah's story that I just related was clearly her hell. And for others, like Dr. Evan Alexander, that was clearly his heaven. And for others, they're in some other zone. Called it purgatory, call it something else. Um, and it's not something you can easily relate to unless it's a past life where you can relate to it. All too, all too clearly.
1: So you think they're just kind of floating out through consciousness, through all of consciousness. Where near-death experience, you actually do leave your body and and go to a specific place. Most people go to a pretty, pretty nice place. But this is different.
2: Okay, I think what we've, what we can prove here is that the brain and the mind – are certainly not the same thing. The brain of a person who's in a medically induced coma is effectively flatlining. There's there's no signal at all. And yet the mind is incredibly active. If a person was sleeping, going through REM sleep, on an EEG brain scanner, their brain would light up like a Christmas tree. It doesn't move. It's just pitch dark within coma. And yet they're experiencing so many different things. Clearly, the mind has taken leave of the body, and it's gone on adventures of its own.
1: Does this happen to everybody who ha- is in a induced coma?
2: No. Um, it's all, I mean, it is impossible to say only this percentage, that percentage. It just can't be done because no one, until I and my wife, have actually investigated this, no, no one's actually even looked at this as a subject, let them gather statistics. I think a lot of people that I found, I found because they were troubled by their experiences. Those who have a blank perhaps do not seek to find right, true. parallels. They're not active, help yeah. and so on. So it's very, very, very hard to say. Um, amongst the people I interviewed, that says 20 plus people specifically for the book, um, two of them had blanks complete blank corners. Um They are better than many of the other survivors in that cognitively they seem fine. Uh, one of them certainly has giant holes in her memory. She simply can't remember events, recent events and so on. But they didn't seem to suffer quite as badly as those who've experienced absolute abject hell. I've had others who had absolutely beautiful experiences to match those of Dr. Eben Alexander. And they've come out of that with extraordinarily positive uh, feelings from it. In one case, I have a hospital chaplain from Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, he died within his coma, and he found himself in heaven. He he didn't see God. He didn't see Christ. He saw a ginormous, beautiful, magnificent mountain of light. And that he came out of that Utterly positive as a chaplain, nobody, when he he, uh, comforts those at death's door and he comforts the bereaved, he can give them a first hand account of the afterlife. Mm -hmm.
1: But he actually, um, did, um, was the medical team aware that he had died? Or was this torn in Yeah, because
2: they're they're wired up to monitors and they make a big solid beep sound and people will rush over. More than half of the people I spoke to said they had died within their coma and Mm. had been resuscitated. One told me four times, for example.
1: Wow. So, did they have the regular, I'll call (laughs) it, which is kind of odd, near death experience? Which was, you know, all all of the things that
2: we know of as a near death experience, being in the beautiful pastoral countryside, all, all that sort of thing maybe a stairway to heaven, maybe dead relatives and all the rest of it. All of those things are recounted to me, have been recounted to me by people in coma, 100%. I think, again, because people don't like to talk about it, I think Mm -hmm. outside of coma, people experiencing NVEs are not all experiencing beautiful things. Some are experiencing some very, very dark things and they're less likely to talk about them. They're less likely to want to share them. So we don't get right. to hear, hear about them. I think people want to mm-hmm. share nice things. They don't want to share horror.
1: And they don't want to go back and revisit it. Right. Um, so it is very different, though. The induced coma is very different from an NDE. Um, well, but at the how, same time, it is kind of out of body. Okay. The, well, what's, uh, I out think of body what's experience. happening is,
2: if you look at it this way, if you were to find yourself in an intensive care unit, you are very, very unwell. You are close to death. If they put you into medically induced coma, the medication is dipping you that much further. They are having near-death experiences, the classic near-death experiences of many people. People are having, I don't even know whether to call them near-death experiences. The story I've just recounted uh, uh, of Debbie, 80 years in the bar, is that a near-death experience? I don't think it is. Um, Others, okay, when people meet their dead relatives, invariably they're all in the prime of life in some way, one of my coma survivors um, met a delegation of people waiting for somebody. They were waiting for the wrong person. And they were really annoyed and angry to see him. Um, And they said to Wait a minute,
1: So, so they, they went were, over that, to the that, other a side. A wrong and delegation met, a, a had that... met my,
2: my coma survivor James. Yes. And they're saying, who are you? Oh, well, I'm James, he says. Who are you? And this woman gives a name. And uh, when he comes out of his coma, at some point later, when he's able to speak and converse with his mom, he tells her this story. And he says, who was this woman? And he describes her totally. And it was a great aunt. And... She was a a great aunt, and she was Mm -hmm. waiting for another one of his aunts, and she happened to die whilst he was in the coma. So he just bumped into the wrong delegation. So was that a near-death experience? Because I've never heard of anyone meeting the wrong delegation. in Right, right.
1: Now, could she have – this is weird – could she have stayed and met the other? The other Anne who was coming
2: up, I, I think if, she, yes. if, she, if she'd if she waited a few days and you yes. know, some time passes, she would most certainly have, uh, have met Dorothy who, 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 who passed over, who she was actually waiting for, and uh, do, not James. And James came back to this world to tell the story.
1: Do um, people in an induced coma have any control over where they're going or what they're seeing? No. no?
2: No, and it, and it's so different for everybody. You know, Let's say two people of the same age, the same medical condition, et cetera, have the same complaint, were in the same hospital, were given the same coma-inducing drugs, they would not have the same experience, not by any shot. One might be a blank, another might go to heaven, another might go to hell, another might revisit right, a past right. life. Another might just go back in time in their own life and be back with their, their family when they were a kid and having having lunch with them. And tasting everything and joining in conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's having a completely different experience. No two of the accounts I have gathered are the same. No two. Many involve the same elements, such as beautiful countryside, etc., But no two are the same. And if they do enjoy beautiful countryside, etc., it's usually after having gone through hell.
1: How long was the longest coma person that you had talked to where was in uh, a coma?
2: Six weeks, I'm thinking. How many? Six weeks. Six weeks in a coma. And, and the other thing, if you're, you're, you're lying still for six weeks, you've got, your body is deteriorating a massive amount.
1: Right. You
2: know, here's interesting. You know, everyone believes that bed rest is the best thing. And we've been doing that for thousands of years. Now, they've discovered that just one week, one week of bed rest, results in the loss of 40% 40 of lean muscle. That much muscle will go in one week. You imagine you're in hospital in a coma for six weeks. You can't see the muscle wastage because you're so pumped for the fluids that you're all puffy, so you can't see that. Meanwhile, joints are disconnecting or calcifying, nerves are disconnecting, skeletal damage. The drugs that they have given you have appalling side effects one very popular uh, medication drug within coma is propofol, and it's propofol that's said to have killed Michael Jackson, the King of I was Mark.
1: just thinking and that, known, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's known for the most terrible, terrible side effects of people coming out of coma having had propofol pumped into them days, weeks, and months at a time. And because they're not going through the circadian rhythms, the kidneys are not washing all, 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 out know, everything that it needs to, um, all the drugs are staying in their system. So they are really suffering the after effects of a of, of very, very Would bad Would that drug.
1: be the reason for these? Um, a lot of people will call them hallucinations or dreams. Okay, or, can I know. just say
2: this? People will call them hallucinations. Hallucination is a conscious state. You cannot hallucinate whilst unconscious. Invariably, your eyes need to be open whilst you hallucinate. No one has ever hallucinated whilst unconscious. They also call it delirium. That is another conscious state. You cannot be unconscious and delirious, non-responsive to the outside world and delirious. It just doesn't happen. But these are the explanations, that and false memory, in that nothing happened to you, but when you came out of your coma, your mind wanted to make up for the missing period of time, which is strange because you would open your eyes, see you're in hospital, and possibly put together the fact that I've been in hospital, which accounts for the missing period of time, and not put yourself in a serial killer thing after 80 years by way of explaining this gap in your life. So all the medical explanations are absolute nonsense. They truly are. No, no doctor can honestly explain or could tell you that you're hallucinating within a coma because they know it's the conscious state, and yet they tell patients that they have hallucinated. It's just crazy. It's, it goes like this: well, modern they, medicine, yeah. and but going to say this, it's modern medicine science only concerns themselves with the physical world as we know things that they can weigh and measure and see. They do not concern themselves with the non-physical realms. Events within coma are clearly within the non-physical realms. They do not want to go there. It's mumbo jumbo. It's New Age nonsense. It's whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. scientific. They won't go there. Therefore. Everyone who reports something, they send them off to the darkest recesses of the mind. And when they come back with mind-blowing stories, they dismiss them as hallucinations and false memories. It's just shocking, absolutely shocking. And for the survivors, they just feel so utterly belittled by this. They know Mm they've experienced something. It's not a dream. It's nothing like a dream. When people report near-death experiences, they say it's more real than real. People have been telling me this who hadn't even heard of the NDE.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, they are experiencing full, clear consciousness. Here's another thing. When people relate events within their coma, often they say, I woke up within my coma. Like you might wake up on a train or something, and then suddenly you're back in this world. They would wake up within their coma with clear consciousness and all their senses on overdrive, all of them. And, and and live yeah. it in a really powerful way and not something that you can have dismissed as an hallucination
1: you know what I want to take a break right now and we're going to come right back and talk about more of, of what they are experiencing in this coma and the the consciousness what is consciousness so we'll be right back
0: One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them get the help you need today visit a view through the veil.com it's your world motivate change succeed voice america empowerment.com you are listening to metaphysics a view through the veil with barb crowley to reach the live show, please call into to one 888 346 9141 That's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Hi, we're back with Alan Pierce, and we're talking about comas and the consciousness um, experienced by people in comas. It, I thought it was all induced coma where, you know, they put you under. But um, as Alan has said, sometimes it's spontaneous coma where somebody has gone into a coma. It's not always. But um, we we were talking about doctors doing this and dismissing what people said when they came out of a coma and talked about what they had seen and what they had experienced The experience being a little bit different, as we talked earlier, than past life experience, which is more of an observation. These people are really living that life that they're seeing, that they're experiencing. But um, I have to admit, you know, where we're saying, well, why why would a doctor do this? But I kind of understand that uh, doctors have been observing the body putting itself into a coma, you know, on a spine what you call spontaneous coma, where somebody gets sick and they go into a coma and um, often later come out of it. And nobody quite knows what happened there. But I think, uh, my guess is medical is trying to imitate that belief that that the body is trying to heal itself that way. That's yeah, a guess, they- obviously.
2: Well, funny enough, the word coma is derived from the Greek word for sleep. So they think people are sleeping. Invariably, when a doctor will explain prolonged deep sedation to a family of a patient, they will say they're sleeping. Or if they're at the bedside, they will say, I'm now for a nice sleep, and then turn up the medication. They're constantly using the word sleep. The brain Mm -hmm. does not go through the circadian rhythms when it is switched off. There is no REM sleep. Three days without REM sleep will result in acute brain failure. It's enough to tip most people over the edge. It's used universally as a torture. People are sleep deprived in intensive care without being in a coma, just because of the routine within that ward. People within a coma are not sleepy because their brain is not going through the circadian rhythms. They are sleep-deprived. They are brain-damaged. And the longer this persists, the greater damage is done to the brain, particularly to memory and just general cognitive function. Tens of points have been wiped off people's IQs from being in coma. Tens of points people have gone from being, let's say, a maths genius with an IQ of 140 to coming out of a coma and not even being able to manage the check account and having a brain on a scanner that looks like an old person with dementia as opposed to a 32-year-old woman.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: That's what the coma has done to the brain. But no one looks after the event. You're passed down the line. No one looks. Doctor after doctor who have woken up to this, who have told me no one, ever looks. It's not even in the system. If you're in a surgical intensive care unit and you say you broke a leg, they want you back to check on you. If you've had COVID, you just move down the line. You never go back to that ICU again really. You might try and pop by to see, you know, to see the people and talk to them, but they're verbally too busy anyway. And mm-hmm. not that many people do because they find it beyond nightmarish.
1: I have to admit though, with the broken leg, the surgeon Hands it off to another doctor. So in well, in the go. United States, anyway, it is always passed along and never. But it is surprising that they hearing enough of these because it's got to be immediate. The surgeon does check back in with you. It's got to be immediate, saying, "Oh my God, I've, uh, where's my family?" And they're looking at their family, you know, you and no, where's is? my other family? <laughs>
2: Well, you're, you're coming out of a coma and you can't speak for weeks at a time because your vocal cord is so damaged.
1: Well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. so
2: confused. People lose larger quantities of their language. They don't know the words for this. They don't know the words for that. Right. They cannot mm-hmm. make themselves understood. And they're never talking to the ICU doctors about what they've mm-hmm. been through. In the book, we've got the story of Isabel. Now, mm-hmm. she's a, a top clinician in a Cape Town hospital. She got COVID. They put her into a coma. She had the most appalling time. She found herself again uh, in a um, transplant facility where she was being bred for transplants purposes. This went on for four years when she was kept in a coffin. When she came out of her coma and she was able to talk and recuperating, she went back to her ICU, spoke to her doctor's and anesthetists and nurses, all of whom, not just colleagues, but friends. And they were like, oh, yeah, really? And just wouldn't get it. No one would listen or understand. No one would listen. They think she's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah. So basically what's happening is you're trapping, you're paralyzing the body. But they're going across lines of consciousness that we can't, explain we can't we don't well, even we have the language for yeah
2: okay we, we cannot explain the consciousness you and i and everybody are listen, listening now are experiencing no one's got the first clue certainly doctors and scientists cannot explain that consciousness if you ask them where where their mind is they might point to their forehead but when you look inside the skull you can't find it if they cannot explain our everyday level of consciousness they haven't got the first hope of explaining consciousness experienced by people within coma, so it's dismissed. You're delirious, hallucination, false memory. Next
1: in, in the past, hundreds of years ago, where honestly people were more open <laughs> to this, um, and around the world, what was the explanation? Was it different
2: for, for what exactly? For, for, like,
1: let's say, let's say the Chinese. You know, what is their belief of when you you go into a coma and you go into different consciousness? How, what do, they, how do they explain it? Different cultures, okay, it, different it, times, it's, too.
2: It's only been happening for 50 years. As a, uh, well, medically induced comas have only been happening for 50 years. If we're looking at spontaneous comas, depending on what point in time we're talking about, they may have been seen as religious, as spiritual, uh, the person may then have been held up as as a, as a potential saint, for example, for what they saw within coma, that they went to heaven and came back and were believed. Other times, they may have, have been rushed to the madhouse, and that would have been the last you ever saw of them. So mm-hmm. I think our thoughts and feelings about such things have always changed. I think we're coming right. out of a period where they're just utterly dismissed and we are moving into a period very slowly where some doctors and some scientists are waking up to other possibilities because they've ex- explored and exhausted all the possibilities to try and understand consciousness and the workings of the mind. And there isn't anywhere else to look. And now they're starting to look elsewhere into the non physical realms. But it's, it's and then we've got I think the thing that's driven mind. that is computer science, is that actually find, find, make computers as intelligent more so than us, but to give them some level of consciousness, which possibly could never happen. But because of that, more and more exploration is now going into examining events such as near-death experience as opposed to dismissing them, which they would have done 10, 20 whatever years ago. Mm
1: -hmm. And then now too, we've got quantum physics, which is starting to say, hey, it is not what we've, been thinking about all along. The 1950s idea of consciousness is not true. It's,
2: turned, not it's true. turned everything on its head. But also, if you just look at the medical world, you know, 150 years ago, if you suggested to a doctor that they should wash their hands before touching a patient,
0: yeah. that
2: doctor would be deeply offended. Uh, and mm-hmm. now we would be horrified by any doctor that failed to scrub up before delivering a baby or delving into a patient's chest. For 2,000 years, they drained blood from people at their store. Today, we'd be horrified at the thought of doing that. It all changes. You know, opinions change, medical practices change, views change. I'm hoping that the views on coma will change. And that, mm-hmm. say, 50 years from now, someone walks into a second-hand bookstore and sees my coma and near-death experience book and says, oh, my God, I can't believe they used to do that back then. How primitive. That's where we're going the <laughs> coma. Yeah,
1: I know. Well, in looking back and asking backwards, sometimes backwards we were more enlightened than we are now. But speaking
2: about getting We've lost so much connection with, with reality, the real world right. around us. I've been listening to many of your, your, your wonderful podcasts and people talking with such authority uh, about matters which in past times were part of our everyday life. But today, I dismissed the fantasy. It's remarkable. Mm-hmm. But people are changing. There is some awareness. There is a changing awareness. I don't know how one sets about measuring that, but for sure it's happening. Podcasts such as your own would not be as popular as they are if people weren't right. questioning as much as they are and seeking answers.
1: People are, the, I keep saying the veil's getting thinner. People are having more and more experiences and speaking about them. I think they're speaking about them. They're probably having the the same amount.
2: They're probably Mm -hmm. having the same number of experiences as they've always had per head of population. But people now are more open to talk about them. But more often it's the lighter ones, not the darker experiences.
1: Right. That's true. But how has this changed you? Yeah, You came (laughs) into it.
2: Yeah, totally. So I'm I'm a journalist, as I mentioned at the beginning and I used to cover wars and disasters, and I always thought dead meant dead, and uh, halfway through uh, researching this book, somebody extremely close to me died, came as an utter shock, and simultaneously I realized that she wasn't dead, dead. Her Mm -hmm. body was, but her spirit wasn't, and we're all energy. She was a huge ball of energy, that doesn't disappear. First law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So I had to go somewhere. And I realized at that point that my entire outlook had changed or I had flipped 100%. I'd gone from a blank materialistic outlook on life, dead means dead, to actually knowing, knowing full on that there is more to life. Because I spoke to so many people who died and came back, I cannot now think otherwise. And everything that led me to this change of heart, change of mind, is in the book. Although I never set out to write a spiritual book, I appear to have done so.
1: In the end, that is what went on. Yeah, you talked about consciousness. And in talking about consciousness, we enter spirituality. Why have so many people with spirituality and consciousness becoming so open why have they gone away from religion, do you think? It's a little bit I don't off. know. <laughs> I can only
2: think of, think myself, it's only because I've delved into this world and spoken to people that I totally trust because in order to get people to tell you these experiences, things they've not told their nearest and dearest, I've had to gain their trust and they've gained mine. And, and I, I believe them 100%. It's not a stretch to say that A few of these coma survivors are now very good friends. And and we talk a lot. We talk a lot now about things. So that's me, how I've come to this. As a result of my coming to this, I see around me people who are spiritual. When people ask me what I'm doing, and I tell them about the book, and I tell them about events within coma and near-death experiences, I'm not getting, oh, dismissive noises from people. I'm getting sympathetic hearings. That's not what I expected. So patiently there is a change of foot. And there needs to be. Look how bleak everything is currently. Um, uh, we have to know uh, that there's more to life than this.
1: Right. So the woman which whose name we both couldn't remember on the break. <laughs> well um the woman that Anita Morajani. Um, Anita Morajani. Yeah. <laughs> She gives a great example. You want to give it about the flashlight in the warehouse?
2: Well, it's about once you know something, you know it. And, and she likens it to, you know, all of us being in a warehouse, a giant warehouse full of shelves and things, and we've got one tiny little flashlight, and we can only see the little things that we can put the flashlight on. But suddenly the whole light comes on and you see the whole of this warehouse, you see everything that's in it, you see the whole universe. That's what you see when you have a near-death experience. And when you turn that light back off, or you come back to this realm, you know, you know for sure. And and, and you know, I, I I've I, I've taken Anita Morijani's story and, and incorporated it into the book because it's just so uplifting. Um, she was right. dying of and- dying. Of, dying of cancer, went into a spontaneous coma, had a most uplifting near-death experience and came back and completely erased that cancer from her body.
1: And, and did she say how she did it or just...
2: By having because a different everything,
1: artwork? Yeah, everything we're talking about is what people have experienced, what's happened to them. But at no time are we... Um... Talking to anybody who's driven those memories. Well, I want to go over here now, or I want to stay and wait for the ant. <laughs> you know, or I, you know, I want to explore this over here, we're we're, we're completely but reactive we to our experience. But, but
2: we re- we really we really can. There's ways of doing it. If you take, for example, the Amazon Mystic Brew ayahuasca, the key ingredient of which is DMT, a psychedelic compound which, incidentally, is produced in all humans. When two people take DMT, say, for recreational purposes, right, Um, husband and wife, and I spoke to a husband and wife that did this together, they go off to another realm together. They see the same things together. No two people in history have ever had the same hallucination. These people are seeing the entities that people see within ayahuasca They're seeing them together. Now, we should be exploring, science should be exploring these realms. Don't send people into space necessarily. Let's go into these other realities. Because people who go there, they say it's not like a drug. It's like some new technology. This is like clear consciousness. I am there 100%. And I'm meeting entities who are saying, how nice to see you. You come so rarely.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, they were still reactive, even though they were in each other's, they had the same hallucination. They were together on the other side, but yeah, they weren't. They, they could relate.
2: They could relate. They, they called these creatures little tree elves. Some people called them electric elves that you see within DMT and ayahuasca. And they both told me of an account where the elf, one of the elves, was playing with their record player. Yeah. And looked mm-hmm. like he was going to break it. They both saw that. how they both see that?
1: But did they say to him, "Don't do that"?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they, well, no. It? Yeah, they're there. They're there. They're interacting. They're not like watching this in the cinema. They are there, and, and they're interacting mm-hmm. with these entities, and they're communicating with them, invariably telepathically. But so there
1: was So sure. it wasn't purely reactive. There was interaction, like <laughs> like lucid dreaming. I think is what I'm thinking of. Like I think even dream. more so.
2: I, I I went through a course and taught myself lucid dreaming, and I was able to be aware that I wasn't a dream. I don't think that's a fraction of the reality people experience within coma. I think they're experiencing a sharper reality than the one I'm experiencing right this minute. than known dreams.
1: Now, have you ever wanted to, or have you ever done the drugs? You know, to, to cross the to open up consciousness for you.
2: So so when we were investigating the book, my wife and I, we were looking for parallels to see where else these experiences were occurring. And in many cases they're in other cases, like within ayahuasca, for example. Mm-hmm. So we weren't in a position, this was also during COVID. So we weren't in a position to go to the Amazon and sample these things, which I might do if I got the opportunity. But I live in the French countryside. There are a lot of magic mushrooms, siding. I know people that know all about mushrooms. So we experimented with that. And the one thing that hit me immediately was the vast energy that surrounded us, all around us. And everyone within coma, almost everyone within coma, who've recounted events have talked to this powerful energy. People who've done Ayahuasca and taking DMT by other means, again, talk of this powerful energy. Um, other drugs, LSD people talk of this energy. I saw it. And because of this, this energy, I could see how everything was connected. Um, I live in the French countryside, so I was watching birds and bees and everything. And I just felt totally at one with them. And at one point, a hoverfly came down and focused directly into my eyes. And I knew he could see me. He could actually mm-hmm. see me because I was on his level. And here's strange. At the other side of the garden, the same thing is happening to my wife. A horse is landing in front of her eyes, staring into them, and they can see each other. Both, she said that to me, and I hadn't told her I'd had that. So yeah. a bit like the, the couple with their DMT. There's something there. And what we're doing, we're switching off a key part of the brain the part of the brain that controls our conscious reality. It's called the default mode network. It's been shown to switch off in the deepest states of meditation. It's been shown to switch off um, when people have experimented with psychedelics, and it's been demonstrated to switch off when people are in coma. This leads to an expansion of consciousness. This will account for why people are experiencing so many similar things, such as you experience within DMT. Uh, these other realms with sentient entities that you can interact with, yes, yes, and it's because we have we have switched off the filter within our brain and allowed us to see so much more of the whole, not the entire, but so much more of the whole.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to stop. I wanted to ask you, <laughs> um, can we blow up our own brains? You know, and because it's so big out there, and our brains are so there, as you called it, a filter that that not much can get through. Deliberately, apparently, we've done this.
2: Oh, oh no, um, for sure. If, if we had access to all the information that was going on around us, we'd be overwhelmed. You know, right. Where, That's where, what I mean. Can I'm we asking?
1: blow up our yeah. own brains? And Maybe people oh, exactly. do.
2: You know, if I was in a constant state of psilocybin, for example, I might starve to death. I might not put a coat on and freeze to death. Anything might happen. So your brain filters out all these things. And as Aldous Huxley, the, the great author uh, who experimented with psychedelics, put it, the brain is filtering only the measliest, smallest quantity of consciousness, just the basic minimum we need to exist on this planet and no more. But you can switch that off through a variety of means through meditation, through psychedelics, through coma.
1: I hate to say it, we've got to stop. So, I want you to tell everybody where they can get hold of you and where they can get your book.
2: Well, and whatever uh, else you is, have coming up. Well, um, I don't think I'm going to do any any other books per se. I want to actually get the word out about this one because no one's ever written a book on this subject. No, before. nobody
1: has. Yeah, and it'd be great. No one's ever
2: read a book like this before. So I'm concentrating okay. on this. Um, and it'd be the book great too, if we
1: can... Get some research started. You know, well, this you, book, you might well, actually maybe. find
2: well, you might find that what we will probably the likelihood is that people listening now, some of them have been in coma, and the events that I've been describing, we've been discussing, they relate to. You know, encourage them perhaps to, to make contact. Always make contact with me. Um, my name will be listed on uh, on Bob's site. I dare say. My name is my website, com. You can find it. there. you me want to there. spell
1: it out, if you don't mind?
2: Yeah, dot com. one word. The Thank book you. is available where all good books are sold. There's also an audio book, an exquisitely, beautifully read audio book by a South African actress, Dani Painter. And she's done the most exquisite job bringing these stories to life. Really? So um, books available everywhere.
1: Alan, thanks so much for coming on and telling us about all of this and and what you've learned and what you've experienced from it. It's been great. Thank you.
2: Barbara, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're welcome. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.